podcast. Three men will risk it all to try to stand out from the herd. It's the Cinema 9 Podcast with your host, Michael Govier, Eric Brandstrom, and Travis Roy. Coming to a speaker near you right now. Well, hello again. What a pleasure to have you back. It's time for everyone's favorite cinema podcast, the Cinema 9 Podcast. Your hosts are here as always. I'm Michael Govier, and of course, Eric Branstrom and Travis Roy. Travis, welcome. How are you? Ba weep, grana weep, ninibong, my friends. How are you? Beautiful. I couldn't have said it better myself. Eric Branstrom, what's cooking? Last week, I want to apologize because I referred to actor Edward Furlong as... Uh, the worst acting performance, uh, worst kid actor I've ever seen or heard from in a film. <laughs> and uh, I feel really bad about it. Uh, most notably because I, I watched War of the Worlds, the Steven Spielberg alien film. And Dakota Fanning is about 10 times more uh, more god-awful in this film. She screeches throughout the entire movie and like does nothing but ask incessant questions to the point where Tom Cruise, playing her father, literally has to tell her to shut up at the top of his lung <laughs> and uh it was really bad so eddie furlong god bless you accept my apology oh man contrite honest that's what you get here forthright honesty and uh that's genuine thank you very much eric Edward Furlong, we salute you. This is the Cinema 9 Podcast. <laughs> you can find us on all your favorite social media sites, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Cinema 9 Pod. Or what is it, Cinema underscore 9 Pod now? What's going on? I feel like the name changed on Instagram. Or was it always Cinema 9 underscore Pod? Yeah, that's it. It's a letter. Hmm, okay. So you'll find it either way. If you type it in, it won't be hard. Uh, also, you can email us, Cinema9Pod at ProtonMail.com. The numerical nine, of course. Today's show will focus on Pond's Labyrinth. It's going to be a doozy. It's, <laughs> it's going to be fun. We're going to find out, does Pan's Labyrinth hold up or not? It's going to be something that we just don't know the answers to yet because we honestly haven't discussed it. We keep the conversation fresh so you get the first, very first exclusive information on it. And, of course, we'll have quarantine viewing picks at the end of the show and your emails and social media commentary. But first, it's time to... Talk Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell has had a stellar career. I remember all the way back to 1990 in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I didn't know who he was, but <laughs> I I'm like, I know that guy's fake. He was there a long time ago. So we're going to talk about and celebrate Sam Rockwell's career. Maybe give you like a top three-ish films or roles. Just want to dive into Sam Rockwell. We've talked Mark Ruffalo. We've talked Stanley Tucci. We've talked... A lot of different actors. And now we're going to find out if Sam Rockwell holds up. So let's start with uh, Travis. <laughs> what is a Sam Rockwell performance, some movies? Where do you feel? Where do you come out on Sam Rockwell? You obviously seem to be a big fan. Yeah, no, I'm definitely a big fan. Um, I think that he's one of the hardest working uh, guys in Hollywood. And I think that he's one of the uh, smartest in terms of uh, roles that he chooses. You know, I think that he, I think that he largely, I mean, sometimes he does like these throwaway trash movies. I watched this movie, uh, Blue Iguana last night from 2018. That was just like, why the fuck are you in this? What are you doing? You just got an Academy Award. Why are you in this movie? So sometimes he does like, he does these movies where like, why? But like, for, for the most part, I think he, I think he chooses really good roles, like thoughtful roles 
And it's so funny because he's like, he's a coastal guy. You know, he grew up like in the Bronx and San Diego or San Francisco or something like he's very much a coastal guy, but like he's someone that we as Americans have decided, yes, we want you to play every Southerner in every movie ever. Uh, you, and, you and Walton Goggins, this is you. This is what you're doing. <laughs> wow, that is really spot on. Yeah, Walton Goggins and him are like these, we need like a, a trash Southerner, kind of like a guy who spits chaw in his mouth, kind of gross. <laughs> But he's right. funny. He's got a potty mouth. Yeah, you're wow, a, a believable racist, right? A believable yeah, yeah, racist. exactly. Yeah, three billboards. That was very believable. Uh, Eric, what about you? You know, Entertainment Weekly once called San Rockwell uh, back. I think it was right after uh, Matchstick Men. They said this guy is destined by a kind of excessive interestingness. And <laughs> I think that's a really good way to put it because I, you don't really know. I mean, you know, you love him because he's a great actor, but like, you can't really put your finger on this quality. It's kind of a, he's strange. He's got a lot going on under the surface. I know I mm -hmm. talked about that a little bit, just like Stanley Tucci, but Sam Rockwell in particular, you can never really tell what's going on in his brain. He always seems to be thinking in all of his roles. And uh, he's one of my favorite supporting actors. So I'm excited to talk a little bit about his filmography. Yeah, Sam Rockwell is kind of like an ugly dude. Um, he really seems like the uh, a typical guy. I think you're spot on with all your information there. Well said, guys. I don't love him as much as some other people do. I certainly respect him. A rock solid actor, a guy who will bring you a top notch performance. But uh, let's get into it. What are let's talk? You know, we're gonna talk maybe a couple of our favorite performances, roles, films. Travis, uh, let's start with you. Well, I'll give you, you know, we, we, we uh, narrowed it down to three, right? So I'll give you my number three, but I'm going to throw out my honorable mention real quick first, which was uh, 1997's Lawn Dogs. This was the first thing I saw him in, and I watched it the other day, and it holds up really well. A nice little, like, suburban fairy tale. But my number three choice, if, I'm, if I really have to narrow it down, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, one of my favorite movies of all time is The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert mm. Ford. And mm. Sam Rockwell's performance in that, especially towards the end when he's playing Jesse James on oh. uh, the stage play, like it's just so haunting. Like it's just, uh, it's I, I, the look in his eyes, like it's just, I mean, like he, it's really one of his strong, like he said he was, he's a great supporting actor. Like this is, like, that, this is why, like, I mean, that's a great movie. And like, He's not the main character in that movie, but it's stuff like that that he just really fills out the movies that he's in. Yeah, yeah. I never, never saw Lawn Dogs, and uh, I don't love Robert Ford as much as I really enjoyed um, uh, the follow-up. Oh, Christ, what is it? Uh, Killing Them Softly. Killing Them Softly. Oh, Damn it. I love that movie, too, yeah. I oh, saw good. that in the theater. I really enjoyed that. But, yeah, yeah that's yeah, a I good choice. Eric, what about I'm, you? I'm so glad you brought up Long Dogs, especially because we're talking about Pan's Labyrinth today, and that's also kind of like a like a, a fairy tale mixed with like a, the trauma of a child. So it's another one of these weird Cinema 9 podcast coincidences. He's so good in it. It's uh, as as like this kind of meandering, like, hit guy from, <laughs> from who knows where. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's kind of remember when I was watching that. I remember when it came out, I was like, who the fuck is this guy? And it, yeah, it dawned on me that he was the head thug from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's a really good one. Uh, I think my favorite role for him is Moon. Uh, when did that Moon come out? I think it might have been 2013 or so. Uh, it's a few times. I think it was yeah. before that. Yeah, I think it was 20, 
2012? Something like that. It was that. 2008. It was like 2008 or nine. Oh, that yeah. long ago? Yeah. yeah. 2009, guys. 2009. All right. Yeah. So if you're on the fence about Sam Rockwell, you haven't seen Moon yet, I'd suggest checking it out because he does so much in it. He's pretty much, you know, it's one of these isolated character stories where he's predominantly in it for the majority of the movie. Uh, but he's just unreal in it. I think it should have got a lot more recognition. So, yeah, I'd probably put that around my number three or so. Hey, Johnny Spaceman. You remember Tess came in for that interview? She was so beautiful. She was the best candidate, but it didn't matter. I had to give her the job. I wanted to keep her in the country. She was going, going back, back to Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> you knew you had to take a chance. So you called her. You're terrified. You wrote that old speech for her answering machine, but she didn't need it because she picked up the phone. She was like, why is he calling me? The internship's over. Why is he calling me at home? <laughs> She wanted to go get like an ice cream cone or something dorky like that. And she said, let's get a drink. And I said, okay, what do you... <laughs> yeah, I don't have the uh, passion that you guys have. And going through his IMDb, I don't see like a... I mean... I don't see nine movies between three guys, but you guys would disagree with that. And that's fine. But I, I enjoy his work. And I think, you know, in Frost Nixon, he's good. He, he plays nice supporting roles. He does the same thing in uh, last year's Richard Jewell. He was, he was really good as that attorney. I, don't, I think Richard Jewell kind of came and went. Maybe not everybody saw that film. But I really enjoyed it. I love Clint Eastwood's late life procedurals, uh, historical biopics that he seems to do of like every real person. And every real event. And Sam Rockwell fits in ideally again as like the Atlanta attorney with the Southern draw and yeah. but he's kind and caring. And he does a good job in that film. It's understated. If you never saw Richard Rule, check it out. He's tough but fair and compassionate all in one rule. This is, I mean, this is like top rate science fiction. Bomb suspect, sought limelight. Are you kidding me? Who the hell do you think you are? Mr. Bryant, what I do is I report the facts. You lead the, the public is what I you do. I report the facts. The facts? That's right. That's what I do. You ignorant. Excuse me? Arrogant. Excuse ambitious. Me. How did you get this job? <laughs> How did I get this job? Yeah. Mr. Bryant, if you have an issue, you can take it up with the FBI for oh, investigating your oh, client. It has nothing to do with me, all right? Oh, what I do <laughs> is I hear the facts. I report them. That is my responsibility. That, the facts? That what is, about the truth? My huh? guiding principle is to report the facts. What that's fucking what I, principle? This isn't a principle stand next to me fuck your principal this man's name is richard jewell he's a hero save lives you're unbelievable i'm unbelievable do you have any heard? idea what kind of wildfire you started you've ruined this man's life maybe you owe him an apology Listen, how about that mr mr jewell you know I, I you are a what i said i'm sorry for what you and your mother oh you are through, a miserable excuse for a journalist you're a parasite you anything to sell a goddamn paper you know that why don't you go chase another ambulance? Kiss my ass. I think that, I mean, he's, he's like I said, he's a really hardworking guy. He's got a lot of movies. So there's a lot, he's got a huge IMDb list. Yeah. And, and there's still a lot of this stuff that I, that I want to see that I haven't seen. Like Eric, you were talking about Don Verdeen. Um, 
So there's there's still there's still a lot of stuff that I you know that, that's out there that I get to catch. But for my number two, I'm gonna have to uh, echo Eric really quickly and say Moon. I agree. Um, I would if you haven't seen it, I recommend going in as blindly as you possibly can. And mm-hmm. uh, and I'm before we started this podcast, I'm about halfway through the movie Mute, which is uh, Duncan Jones's. Uh, not direct follow-up, but uh, it's a follow-up to to Moon, and it takes place in the same universe, and that's kind of fun. Yeah, Moon's great. I got I got no beef with Moon. I love Moon. It's a wildly interesting and intriguing film. Eric, what about you? What's your number two? I remember when they were trying to cast Confessions of a, of a Dangerous Mind uh, came out in so they released it in I think two thousand one, two. Correct me if I'm wrong. Two thousand two. Yeah. And I remember they were trying to cast it for like two years. Mike Myers was going to be Chuck Barris. Ben Stiller was going to be Chuck Barris. And then when George Clooney took over the project, he was really fighting for uh, our boy, Sammy Rockwell, for the, for the uh, role. And he's so good at it because this is like a, this is a real kind of a dirtbag character. He, he's animatic. He's funny. He, he, you know, he's somewhat likable, but, these are all qualities that Sam Rockwell always do- does really well. Okay. He always does like uh, shady kind of a low life, but you, you don't hate him or despise him really for mm-hmm. any particular reason. He's just kind of doing his thing and living his life. And he underplays it so well. Uh, this is one of his best performances. Uh, so yeah, I put confessions of a dangerous mind up there on my top three. It's uh, you know, the movie's okay. The book is hell of a lot better. The book so, is great. Even with the screenplay by the great Charlie Kaufman, I suggest you, yeah, I suggest you take a look at the book. But uh, it just really goes to, to show you his versatility because he does a shitload in that movie and you can't take your eyes off the screen. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think Sam Rockwell did a great job when he was in, uh, oh boy, what was that movie? Oh, oh, Vice. Yeah. So in Vice, he plays George Bush. I've heard of him. Second George Bush with the W in it, not the first one. And there's two movies already, which is kind of weird to think. There's two big films with George Bush as like the main character or, or one of the f- leading characters. And I, I thought that uh, Sam Rockwell's version, as compared to Josh Brolin's in 2008's W, I liked it more because I thought it brought a little more honesty to the character. The W version is like really understated and seems a lot more intelligent, frankly, than I would like to give him credit for. And I think Rockwell's brings more <laughs> of that, like, sort of that Texas doofiness to him. And I like that. You know, the Texas doofus is what I really think of with Bush. And that's why I prefer Vice and Sam Rockwell's George W. Bush over Josh Brolin's George W. Bush. Carl Rowe wanted me to buy this ranch, distance myself from my years at Yale and Harvard. Make me more of a man of the people for the election. Smart. So we gonna do this thing or what? Is this happening? We uh, have found some very interesting uh, candidates. Um, If we could schedule a three-hour window to... uh, I mean, I want you to be my VP. All right. I, I agree with that. I think he's a better George W. Bush as well. Um, for my for my favorite, if I have to pick my favorite Sam Rockwell performance, for me it's an easy choice because he's in my probably my favorite love story. My favorite, uh, he's the leading man in uh, in the film Choke, which is another uh, wow. Chuck, Chuck Palahniuk adaptation, which is better than the book. 
um, directed by Clark Gregg. It is, if you've not seen that movie, it's a, it's a, it's a nice little, like, I don't know, man. It's like a, it's like a really pretty herpy on the side of your mouth. I don't know how to put it. It's like, <laughs> pretty it's, it's like, it's such a, like, like, like Eric, you were saying, like, he's like, you know, he's, he always plays like these gritty kind of scumbaggy characters. And he's like, yeah, he's pretty scumbaggy in this movie, but there's, but there's still like this really like this aching humanity to him. Um, and uh, it's just, I think it's just a really lovely film. And uh, yeah, that, that's my choice. Choke. You can't fool people into loving you. Wanna bet? Somebody saves your life, they'll love you forever. It's like the old Chinese custom. They feel responsible. They'll write, they'll send birthday cards, play it right, even cash. Yeah, I mean, I forgot about I, that movie. I hated the book so much because I like detested the the character. What, who was he, Vincent Mancini or so or something or other? So I never got around to seeing the movie, and I I gotta admit I forgot that. Yeah, he he was the the main uh, the main fella in there. So is it any different from the the book? Oh yeah, it's 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 a lot more coherent than the book. It's a lot more focused on the love aspect of it. It's a, it's better than the book. You should check it out. Yeah, I forgot about that film. I really wanted to see that. And I, I think some friends of mine were talking about it when it came out and I never got to sit down and watch it. I'll go back and try to watch that when I can. I really want to see that. Really, I think it's, I think it's one of the strongest love stories out there, not to oversell it. No. <laughs> Choke. Everybody get out there. Go see Choke. A pretty herpes. <laughs> well, Eric, what's your number one? What is uh, the big reveal here? Listen. The man has, uh, he won every award under the sun. In fact, he's one of the very few actors, I think there might be 10 or dozen of them that won like the Oscar, the BAFTA, the SAG Award, the Golden Globe for uh, Rebuild Boards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. I yes. mean, yeah, he's, he's played kind of, once again, kind of the dim-witted loser, but he does it so well in this. And, you know, it's a testament to, to the direction. Uh, what's the guy's name? Michael McDonough or something? Martin McDonough. Martin yeah. McDonough. Um, he's so awesome in it. I, you know, I think Woody Harrelson is equally good. Uh, I was surprised to see. Uh, I was interested to see who would get the awards that year because I fucking loved Woody Harrelson in that as well. But um, yeah, just the just the way he does these roles and he does it again. He's this dim-witted, low-life loser, but there's so much heart, you know. Yeah. And he under he underplays the heart, which probably makes you care about him even more because you're you know, urging them along yourself as an audience member, like get out there and do the right thing, or you can do this. Like you're a good person. And you think yeah. that throughout the entire film. That's why I love about it. I think he's good with redemption for, for all the reasons that you're saying. He's good for redemption arcs, that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Like I just watched, um, uh, uh, the best of enemies the other day where he once again plays like a Southern racist who is not the most likable character, but like, again, like, he, <laughs> like, like you're, you're watching him kind of like evolve. And, and I think he's good at that kind of thing. Yeah, he has – he really committed to the performance. When, if you're going to play a guy like he plays in Three Billboards, you have to fully commit to it. He, he's unapologetic, and that's why he deserves all the praise that he got in that film. He just went for it, and he went all in. He didn't try to – you know, there might be a tendency for an actor and actress to be like, oh, this could be a bad look for me in the real world because I'm playing a racist, which obviously is yeah. reprehensible, but he – yeah. When you play it honestly, you you can make an impact on 
society, really. I don't think that's fair or understated. I think that's really what can happen. And he did that in that film, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. And as far as my, uh, I guess my favorite Sam Rockwell performance, I would like to shout out, uh, he did play a very classic character. He played Zaphod Beeblebrox in Hitchhiker's <laughs> Guide to the Oh, yeah. It's a big deal, but that movie, Beeblebrox. that movie sucked. It was not nearly as fascinating and as exciting yeah. as the book was. So I can't go there. So I guess I'll just, I'll probably have to go with Seven Psychopaths. And I know that, Travis, I think you said you don't love this film or you didn't I mean, see I only it. Saw it. Yeah, I only saw it once, but it didn't floor me. He has such an earnestness in this film, but he's also doing some really bad shit. <laughs> I just like his, uh, he wants to make a screenplay for those you don't haven't seen it. You know, he's like, oh, he wants to be a writer, but he wants to get inside the writer's head. And the only way to end up do that is start to do some stuff that, you know, real mob guys would do. And he really goes for it, but he has like this smile on his face all the way to the bitter end. It's, it's really an undervalued Sam Rockwell performance. And of course he was able to, this is Martin McDonough again, so obviously they have a good rapport there. It's a connection there. I don't think I can keep it up, Ange. Nope. <laughs> Look at that limp piece of shit. Jeez, I hate these freaking condoms. Take it off, baby. I trust you. You trust me? But <laughs> you're still screwing that mafia guy. God knows what shit that freak's giving you. Get the fuck off me, Billy. I didn't mean AIDS or nothing, honey. Honey, I meant like chlamydia or something. He certainly seems to get the best performances out of Sam. But I thought, yeah, I really like that one. I've seen that movie many times, and I guess it just sticks with me. So, Remember him in The Green Mile? Is that crazy? I know, I was just, just going to yeah. say that I thought somebody would mention The Green Mile, so I didn't put it on the list. <laughs> and we have to mention him as guy in galaxy quest also because that was another one that really helped put him on the map in a in a wonderful wonderful movie yeah that's true too that's a big one uh, what about you guys out there in the world sam rockwell fans favorite film performance let us know cinema nine pod at protonmail.com that's the numerical nine or you can hit us up on instagram twitter or facebook Travis and Eric are really good at responding on social media. I mean, we got to give these guys a lot of credit. They love connecting with you guys. So if you got something to say on uh, any of those formats, please do. And now it's time, as always, does it hold up? We're traveling back in time to 2006 for Pan's Labyrinth, the 2006 film from Guillermo del Toro. It is a Spanish-language film, so... If you don't speak Spanish or understand it, you have to use subtitles for whatever your native language is. And I'd like to first commend ourselves for doing this because, you know, it'd be easier to pick some other <laughs> film, which is in I English. I commend us. Yeah, I commend us because <laughs> this film deserves to have a revisitation. It was a big deal when it came out. I remember I saw it in the theater. I, yeah. I can hardly recall a film that had subtitles completely throughout that I had to see in the, or I went to see in the theater. It's a pretty rare experience for me. So obviously this was distributed properly. And I know Guillermo del Toro gave up everything to do this film. He gave up back end points. He gave up his salary. He really was committed to the heart of this. So opening thoughts, Travis. Well, you know, um, 
this is a movie that comes in a long line. Like a, uh, there's a whole genre of like little girls, often orphaned little girls who discover like this secret little world, like spirited away or, um, or, you know, Alice in Wonderland or Wizard of Oz or Moana. Like there's all these movies with a similar kind of thing. And this is uh, an, a very um, strong addition to that somewhat thick uh, uh, field. And I think that he's utilizing, like J.K. Rowling, Rowling, however the fuck you say her name, um, he's utilizing, like, a, like, none of this is new, right? He, uh, this is all, like, very old ideas, like the idea, like, don't eat the food and don't drink the water, or, like, you know, like, a lot of this, like, the mandrake, like, a lot of this stuff is really, really old and, like, in folklore and stuff. Um, so it's just, a, like, a clever repurposing, and I think that, like, what was really clever about it all was the setting of it during the Spanish-American, or the Spanish Civil War, uh, a period that, like, Americans and the world in general is very fully aware of, but, like, doesn't get a lot of the attention that it could because of all the other events that are happening at the time. But it's still also very much from two, a movie from 2006. You know, it's, this is like when the tide is really starting to turn against the Bush administration. Now, this, of course, Guillermo del Toro is the Mexican uh, individual. But I mean, you know, we're still having like a, a global turn towards authoritarianism a little bit starting at that time. So this movie, this parable, uh, it makes sense that it would come out during that. Well said. What about you, Eric? You know, what I love the most about this movie and Guillermo del Toro in general is he takes the fairy tale, which, which kind of got, which kind of got hijacked by Walt Disney when he did all of his. I've been really into this like early Disney animation these days, and one thing they were saying was, you know, he took these these old fairy tales from like the early 1800s that were just these really dark, uh, pretty gruesome, grisly, and depressing stories uh, at their heart. Yeah, they had thematic issues in them, but he softened them up, you know he would have happy endings for them. And that wasn't always the case predominantly with, with some of these old fairy tales. So what Guillermo del Toro is doing, he's, he's taking a, you know, a classic, you know, fable about the, you know, just like Travis said, and he's making it fucking dark as hell. And, and I love that because, you know, you could watch 20 minutes of this and, you know, think it's just going to be this cute story about this girl gets lost in dreamland. And then fucking next minute later, a dude's getting his face literally bashed in by a fucking beer bottle. So <laughs> I give credit to him for blending these genres and kind of reintroducing these dark tales for essentially what they are. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It is a violent film. <laughs> I think yeah. when it came, yeah. when it came out, yeah, uh, a lot of families had to be told not to bring families to this film because it's not a family film. Even though Unless it's you want like, little... <laughs> like, like Cronenberg-esque violence in a family film. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it most certainly is. And uh, I have no problem with that, but uh, marketing for this must have been a real pain in the ass. <laughs> I will say that. But if we go back in time to 2006 when it came out, it, got a, it has a 95 and a 91 from the critic oh, yeah. score and wow. the audience yeah. score. That's probably the highest ratings we've had of any film we've analyzed, I believe. So be really right. strong reviews and audience passion for this film. Uh, 8.2 on IMDb. That's if you get in the eights, that's where you start to get to the elite on IMDb. And as far as reviews from the critics back then, uh, a lot of people obviously loved this film and there was strong reviews for it. Uh, Guillermo del Toro has achieved a rare success in crafting a mature movie with some of the ingredients that make a good bedtime story. Kind of like what Travis was saying. Uh, a dazzling masterpiece cannot be seen just once. 
Um, Michael Strago from the Boston's The Baltimore Sun says, the movie is a visual marvel with a depth that goes beyond storybook effects. Del Toro creates uh, ooh, a tenebrous. I don't know what tenebrous means. Do you guys know what that Go. means? Go, Michael. I don't know that one. <laughs> a tenebrous visual undertow that pulls Franco Spain and Pan's Labyrinth together. Very cool. Oh, I think so, it means like filaments, like you know, like 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 uh, you know, like fibers. Anyway, oh sorry, wow, I, go, I think right, yeah, I take your word for it. Uh, local Detroit News, Tom Long said, it explores the connection between fantasy and reality with eyes wide open to the dangers of giving either too much credence. Ooh, mm, deep. I love that. Mm. Uh, Robert Dennerstein of the Rocky Mountain News says this backdrop of intrigue creates violent scenes that may have you turning away from the screen, but it's beautifully designed and full of its own strange poetry. Nonetheless, it is not a children's movie. <laughs> I'm glad somebody was saying that at the time. So overall, it's hard to find a bad review. Here's one bad review, I guess. The sets, the sights, and the sounds are original and imaginative. But the dirty little secret is that a little of it goes a long, long way. Well, I, don't know, <laughs> I don't even know what that means. So that means that they're overwhelmed by Guillermo del Toro's art direction or whoever the actual art director was. And Reese. Yeah, there oh. you go. Oh, okay. There you go. She won the Academy Award for it, didn't she? I think. Yeah. Yeah, we've got Oscars for art direction, cinematography, and uh, not special effects, which blew me away. But there's one more, too. I think uh, production it design. Was, was it, it wasn't screenplay? Mm. It was nominated, but I don't think it won, surprisingly no, enough. No, I, I believe it won. I thought it won Best Screenplay, but I could be wrong. I know that it lost Best Foreign Film. To, I could uh, not to, believe it. To some fucking German movie I'd never heard of before. Yeah, that. Yeah, I'm, it, I'm a, I'm it was not Travis. It was nominated, but it didn't win for best screenplay, original okay. screenplay. Wow. Yeah, uh, I don't know who won that year, but it'd be tough to think of a more interesting it's, and original story. Oh, it was um, uh, Little Miss Sunshine. Oh fuck oh. that! Movie. Well, that's yeah. a good movie too. Uh, I, yeah, yeah uh, it's a good movie. Doesn't have the doesn't have the residual staying power necessarily, but. All right, well, hey, tough break for Guillermo, but still, the movie is generally lauded. But as we get into the concepts of this film, uh, you guys seem to be into this film. What, what, uh, what are some of the scenes that stood out to you? What are some of the themes? You take this in any direction you want, Travis. What, do you, what does Pan's Labyrinth, Pan <laughs> and his labyrinth, bring to mind um, when, you, when you see this movie again? Has, it's been a long time. I assume I hadn't seen it since probably mm. 2008. Yeah, I hadn't seen it in about as long. Um, you know, Guillermo del Toro, at the risk of plugging someone else's podcast real quick, but Elijah Wood has a uh, podcast called Visitations where he goes yeah. to different directors' houses and, uh, and interviews them. And there's a double uh, interview that he did with Guillermo del Toro that is literally one of the best yeah. interviews Excellent. I've ever heard from anyone in my life. You've heard it? I want to like find, I want him to be my grandpa. I want to hug him. Like he's just like, mm. he just seems like such a sweet and good man. And um, <laughs> like a big really, teddy bear. He really does. He seems like a, he seems like a great person. And the character in this in this movie, Vidal, really reminded me of Michael Shannon's character in uh, the Fish movie, whatever the fuck that's called. Uh, you know, the fish, fish movie. Yeah, the, Shape of Water. Academy Award winner. She fucks a fish. Um, <laughs> see, uh, the, the, both of these movies, and probably some of the other stuff too. Because I haven't seen everything he's done. I haven't seen Chronos or Devil's Backbone, for instance. But, like, Guillermo del Toro is waging a war against toxic masculinity. He fucking hates it. He hates it. And this movie is very much about, like, I mean, we got strong, mostly strong female characters. The mother, maybe not as much, uh, although she has her own strength. 
Uh, and then very much flying in the face of like Vidal and just like the atrocities that he casually commits. And um, the, it's not just, it's not just uh, misogyny either. It's also, it's also, again, like very much uh, of anti-authoritarian kind of movie. Um, so, and, and those things often go hand in hand, you know, the oppressing of women, the oppressing of minority races, all that stuff usually, you know, coming from the same kind of individual. And so to me, that's one of the strongest themes of the movie is that like, this is, this, this movie is very much a damning ideology such as that. Mm. Wow. What about you, Eric? I think that's right on the money. I mean, it's obviously these female characters are tough motherfuckers. <laughs> that's that's one of the main things I love about. I mean, the movie is for me. I mean, disobedience, authority. These are huge things that stand out. And what what I'm what interests me a lot about it is I didn't really know that I don't know that much about Francoism or like Falangism, whatever it is. I, hardly anything about the Spanish Civil War. And Guillermo del Toro, he he kind of made a strong effort to get that conflict in the limelight uh, he does it more prominently in the devil's backbone which is a really creepy ghost story that's a little bit more internalized than this but um yeah for me i was surprised how much i i love kind of the the historical aspects of the film and the general conflict going on in the quote-unquote real world of this because you know in 2006 i was you know just sitting there in the theater with my big beard not caring about anything but the creatures but this has a lot to say about uh, authority and the way that small people can rise up uh, against that sort of fascist threat. And I loved it. I mean, I think he did it really well. I'd like to see more. Uh, uh, I'd like to see him trap, uh, cap off his trilogy because he said he's going to do one more about the Spanish Civil War. And we, we have yet to see it. Oh, yeah. The, uh, oh, the Devil's Backbone is the other part of this? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I haven't seen that one. Um, I actually am not a. I never saw Shape of Water. I haven't seen a lot mm. of Del Toro's films, really. I, mm. Hellboy, Hellboy for me is like, a, eh, who cares? I never was into that. Um, yeah, yeah. I know that was like his passion, so I give him credit for being able to follow his passions and doing what he loves. I respect the hell out of him as a director, and I would like to see more of his films, but I haven't seen many beyond this one. <laughs> really, I never saw Pacific Rim and so on. So, <laughs> it's a mimic? Uh, yeah, I never saw Mimic, and I know that the Weinstein, he gets oh, he looks even cooler Mimic. now because apparently the Weinsteins just destroyed Mimic. So yeah. in the long run, historically, Del, Del Toro looks even better. But the point, you know, yeah. oh, sorry, you're getting oh, go, ahead, go, ahead. go ahead. Well, Mimic was the first thing of his I, I saw, and, I'm, and it was pretty butchered, but I remember even then as a kid, like, I don't know if you guys remember this movie, but there's like, there's, ch there's child protagonists that die like a third of the way into that movie. And I remember being like, fuck, like this, whoever's doing this movie is just like, they don't give a shit. Like they're, they're changing the rules here. And, yeah. uh, and he, and he's gone on to do that. And again, like he, he changes, like he's one of those guys that's, I think he's a master filmmaker because he knows all the rules and he follows them really well. Then he breaks them sometimes when it, when it works. And I think that he's just like a really, you know, you were talking about uh, subtitles before. One of the things that they say to do, like if you really want to test the metal of a good director is to watch a movie with the sound off, right? You probably heard this. Mm -hmm. uh, it, does, it, does the story still work? Like this movie, you, we wouldn't even need to have the subtitles on. We would still understand the movie perfectly if he didn't speak Spanish because it's, he's such a master storyteller. Mm, wow, that is probably very true. My point, though, is that she, Ophelia, is about defying people you know that she she defies everyone's and there's a lot of meta things going on here you know with 
You got the rebels and the resistance out in the woods fighting against the scumbags and they're defying and they're, you know, either have the conversation out in the woods where the doctor's talking to uh, um, her brother out there is one of the leaders of the resistance. And he says, why don't you just go? This is never going to end. Even if you kill Vidal, he's going to come back and they're going to replace him with someone else and it'll never end. And it's about the, the movie seems to be about people choosing how they want to, um, go out of this world in a sense. Yeah, you know, I can they, see that. They're like, hey, cause you know, obviously with the end, how that goes, maybe she, she didn't want to make that choice. It was thrown on her, thrusted on her, but she ends up making a choice to not sacrifice her brother, but giving herself up. Spoiler alert, obviously. So <laughs> it's about a, a lot of defiance. That's, and this girl, Ophelia is kind of annoying to me. I don't know if this is controversial or not, but I found myself being kind of annoyed watching the film with her. Well, I mean, you, you want to talk about defiance. The, the thing about Ophelia that is interesting to me is she even defies kind of uh, the logic and the consequences in this perceived dream world that may just be in her imagination. So in some ways, she's kind of defying her own subconscious because she takes the grapes from the pale man and he has to chase her around with his old, you know, like ball sack looking ass. So <laughs> but that makes her even more... <laughs> That makes it her more interesting to me uh, because, yeah, she, she's even defiant to, to no end. Can we just say that, like, how fucking weird and gross it is that, like, uh, you're walking and, like, you're told, like, you can't eat anything. Here's all this sumptuous food, like, and, like, but you see, but, like, you see this most disgusting ball sack man that you described, like, and, but he doesn't have any eyes. What you do see is a plate of, with two eyes. So what are the two things that you feel compelled that you must eat? Two big grapes? <laughs> Ew. Yeah, that is could be a testicular reference too from good old Guillermo. You know, eat those balls <laughs> by that man. Huh? Well, they were eyeball. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. A lot of people though, Mike, were were annoyed that she even did that because it, it seemed a little bit out of character for her to, you know, agree to this and that from the fawn and then go ahead and fucking take a couple of grapes and get those cute little fairies head chewed off by that fucking ball sack thing. <laughs> and yeah and they totally give it it's so obvious i guess i'd seen the movie before but i really didn't remember anything all the memories i had were oh there's some scumbag uh fascist spanish dude and there's a child that's really all i had in my mind from <laughs> when i'd last seen this I, I, didn't, I really didn't remember a lot of this but it was given away with the glance from uh mercedes sorry, yes mercedes like right yeah. the first 10 minutes of the film she like so makes obvious. this look yeah, it's like, oh, she's clearly a spy. I, I, she didn't say a word, and I didn't even remember that, but it was like the, the glance of a spy. I'm like, come on, you could do a little better. <laughs> she's, like leaning over, she's like leaning over Vidal, like at the map, like, like looking at shit. Like, what are you doing, lady? Like, you're not good at this. Yeah, you're really terrible at this. And maybe that's the point. Maybe there's, it's just yeah. supposed to be like authentically, like, you know, she's not an expert at being a spy. Right. So maybe that's, right. maybe I looked at it the wrong way, actually. I just kind of realized that. Yeah, she's just an everyday person. That, uh, Sergey Lopez, the guy that plays Vidal, really fucking scary guy, but mm. known as a comedian, you know, in his home, <laughs> his home country. So the producers were worried about casting him because he was like this, this jokester, but he's fucking scary as Captain Vidal to me. I was Terrifying. Times. Yeah. Yeah. That was a That's, real game changer. Yeah. But I wonder, you know, there's, there's so many beautiful scenes, you know, the pale man scene is like legendary, right? Apparently, 
Yeah. I read this in the trivia that Stephen King was like scared shitless when he watched it next to Guillermo del Toro with the pale man was chasing Ophelia and Guillermo del Toro <laughs> oh thought it was like the highlight of his life. It was better than winning an Oscar because he scared Stephen King. And, <laughs> that's, yeah, awesome. that's cool. Uh, the yeah. pale man, you know, the, the frog scene is really, the frog scene kind of doesn't age that well with the effects. I thought it looked the CGI. A little, yeah, yeah. It looked a little cheesy. I felt the same way. But, um, yeah, the movie the movie generally holds up so well with all the practical effects stuff, but whenever the CGI starts coming out, it doesn't look great. Yeah, you wonder I know that he tried to do this without, you know, he didn't want uh, American studio help and he really was dedicated to his own vision and I respect the hell out of that. So I wonder if uh even I know, you know, obviously effects have come a long way in the last 15 years because they just keep getting better and better every year. But I mm. wonder if that's mm. part of that. But I don't blame that. I don't have a I'm not dissing the movie for that at all. I'm just kind of an observation when I saw the film. Yeah. This is one of the main things I wanted to talk about because this has some of the best practical effects I've ever seen in a movie. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, it relates to one of my biggest problems with these type of movies nowadays it, is that they, they all rely on 100% CG. Whereas when you blend practical with CG, you usually get such better results. Uh, I was watching an interview with Rick Baker, you know, the grand master of all, uh, you know, oh, yeah. costumes and makeup. And he said, you know, before he retired, he got, he's got a book out that's fucking remarkable. And he talks about uh, Pan's Labyrinth. He talks about where the wild things are as being probably the last two movies that, uh, you know, harken back to this kind of old school type of monster movie making. And, and he got out of the biz because they just kept trying to replace his work with total CG. I watched that movie Cursed where he is credited for doing the, the werewolves in them. He says, look, I designed them. They threw out my designs, put my name on the movie, changed them all to CG. And he was unable to deny his credit from the association, whatever. But uh, this is an absolute landmark for, for creature effects. And I, I hold it in high, high praise. I will say The Void. Got to give props to The Void for being a recent movie with all practical effects. They're coming around. Yeah, I think they're definitely coming around because it, they look like the root baby. That's, yeah. that's almost wholly practical. And it, it's just so fucking unbelievable looking. Nowadays, it just looks like some dumb cartoon, but just so cool. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's, it's not a monster film. I mean... Christopher Nolan does a good job of trying to keep practical effects into his movies. He's not making fantasy and horror films necessarily, but I, it, it's a dying art, but there are directors that are trying to keep that alive. So kudos to those people that are doing that. Um, as far as the effects, did, is that fair enough? I mean, is there anything else you want to say about the effects? Did I miss something? No, I mean, but I, I absolutely agree with you. When, when you can do something in camera with practical effects, you know, I support it. People like no one support it, but when it comes to creatures, I'm telling you, look at Lord of the Rings. When all the creatures were like half practical in the original trilogy and then they were all CG in the second Hobbit trilogy, there's such a huge difference. There's such a connection difference. So I, this is a big one, Pan's Labyrinth, for that. Creatures. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, by the way, we're talking about Pan's Labyrinth. If you love Pan's Labyrinth and you want to talk about it with us, send us some emails. Please do. Cinema9pod at protonmail.com. Cinema9pod, numerical nine at protonmail. Dot com. Please do. We'd love to hear from you. Pan's Labyrinth is a film that is deeply enriched in that historical period. It, it has, it yeah. deserves respect as well beyond the effects of the, the fawn and pan and all the fairies and such and so forth for the, 
rooting of the historical reality of the period. It, you feel like you're definitely in Spain in the 1940s, from the cars <laughs> to the outfits to uh, how they live and the rationing. That mm. All of that deserves credit, and I, I don't want that to get overshadowed by the incredibly well-done practical effects, no doubt. But I think that deserves just as much credit to blend with the fantasy. The reality and the fantasy are so juxtaposed that they make both of them pop in this film. I also think, to, to disagree a little bit, I kind of feel like, um, yeah, the, we were enmeshed in that, that Spanish world of 1944, but it also kind of feels like it could be anywhere at any time. Like, like um, to me, like, there, there's something about, like, there's, some, there's something really timeless about the movie overall because of all of these themes, like, that, that, that he's recycling. Right. But, but, like, one of those themes is also, like, you know, oppression and... Uh, uh, abusive authority and that kind of stuff and you could find that in pretty much any era um so like you, you know you, this could have taken this could be set with castles and you know all kinds of shit mm -hmm. there's all kinds of ways it could have mm -hmm. could have gone and um and yes it was very specific for, for it being the spanish civil war but it's, at the same time he made it feel really timeless which is another strength of the film that's a really good yeah. point yeah i actually now that you say that that is absolutely true it could be any time any place for where there's oppression and tyranny <laughs> anywhere. You're right. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it any better. Like, they don't really get into much of what the ideology is for, especially the rebels, because they were like, in reality, <laughs> I think they were like anarchists or something, but you don't really need to know that much about eh. the conflict and the, the whys and the, the whats to, to enjoy it for sure. Well, the only time you get that is when they uh, apparently accidentally kill the two fishermen or the two bunny ha uh hunters mm. they ended up yeah. not being spies they probably were just hunters because mm. they have red paraphernalia and pamphlets you know and that's the only time you get any type of inclination into mm. that part of the world but i wanted to also say that it also seems like this army or this outpost this military outpost is really disconnected from the rest it's almost like it doesn't even exist in spain now that you said that travis i'm starting to think more about it and it's like it really isn't even in spain even though it's supposed to be in spain they seem so disconnected from the rest of the world. This is a time when there's radios and it's, there's a lot more advanced technology during World War II. So it wouldn't be like, you know, when they get down to like 20 men, when the Mercedes escapes and they kill a bunch of their men, we only have 20 men left. He's like, he finally mentions like radioing for help, but it also sounds like this huge deal and won't even happen. It's very odd. Now, yeah. that, if I start getting more into the reality of the situation, it almost seems like maybe I shouldn't dive into it too deeply. I mean, he makes his office like the middle of the, like the mill. Like it's like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's just like, it's, it's, it's it feels kind of medieval. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Apparently the whole point of that was to make his room look like his father's internal watch. That was, I didn't know that that was done that on does, purpose. That doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. I, didn't, oh. I didn't pick up on it, but it makes sense. Yeah, I didn't pick up on it either. I read it after the fact, but they, you know, if you look with the mills and the gears yeah. inside the watch, it all starts to look like that. I don't know why, but apparently this father's watch bit is like a big deal. And I don't even, you know, it could not even be in the movie. I wouldn't even care, but it does make for a strong comment at the end where, no, you will not ever right. be remembered ever again. So I guess that does that. That's one of the things I really liked about the movie too, is that another one of the major, like classic ancient themes that it plays with and turns on its head is that idea of legacy. Um, usually it's like the protagonist, you know, that you're, that, you, that wants to leave a mark on the world, et cetera. But like, here we have like the ways that um, wanting to leave a, a legacy can be destructive and it's, it can be really, really selfish. Um, so I guess all that watch stuff, I think is supposed to like, uh, you know, show just how it grinds to a halt when, when, you know, she takes it away from him. He won't know your name. You know, that, I thought that was cool. Absolutely. 
Yeah, I love that you said that too, because it says a lot about, you know, Ophelia's character. She's told in the first scene, this is your father, call him your father. And she defies it the first second she meets the fucking guy. And, <laughs> you know, whether it's because she she's not the, the heir to his throne or whatever, quote unquote, or not, but <laughs> just another layer that he puts in there. Yeah, this film is certainly layered, and I was shocked. I really was, and I can't believe I didn't remember this at all, but when Mercedes actually escapes from the scumbag and cuts his mouth, I was yeah. like, whoa, this is so cool. I can't believe this is happening. I didn't remember it at all, and it was kind of fun to be surprised for once, even though I'd seen this move a long time ago. It was really cool, and I was like, yeah, oh, my God, she's really going to get away, and it was very exciting, and I, I was – I love being able to root for a woman who kicked a scumbag's ass and got away with it. That's, that's a lot of fun. Chelsea Grin, you know, I, I was like, just fucking cut this guy's head off. So, you know, when I, <laughs> I knew the guy was still alive, I'm like, Mercedes, you got to get back there and butcher his ass and get the hell she, out of here. She starts off by stabbing him in the shoulder blade. You don't have to be a fucking brainiac to know that if you're yeah. going to attack someone – from behind, like, get him in the goddamn jugular, lady. Call it a day. <laughs> like, why, I completely like she, agree with that. She makes a choice not to kill him, which I guess is like, you know, because she's supposed to be a good person. But yeah. like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you should have fucking killed him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, what are you doing? What? And I was lucky enough she at least stabbed him again, but still it wasn't enough. She like missed the heart. And right. she cut his face though. And then he fixes his face later. That is a gross scene. That is like it's harder to watch. Yeah. Awesome. It's harder to watch than getting cut. Yeah, it's yeah. way harder. And he slams a shot of whiskey or whatever. Like, oh, God. Don't that up. That's foolish. <laughs> Don't do that. That is so brutally nasty. Good Lord. <laughs> how, do you guys think they, how do you guys think they did with, like, the, the, the theme of, like, repression and having, like, the, the whole fairy tale be kind of uh, triggered by the, you know, the trauma and all that sort of a... Uh, stuff going on internally with Ophelia did you think they were successful with like the parallels of the real world and the fantasy world and do you think that's a salient commentary on how we can kind of escape this horrible world we live in in our imaginations I think that this movie reminded me of Donnie Darko in some ways and that oh. there's and that there's again like these three different there's this again this ambiguity going on what's what's really happening there's three different ways that things could be going down here okay is is it is it that she is actually having this experience that you know mm -hmm. the, the the fawn is real and the underworld is real um is it that this is not you know is it that, that this is just happening in her head and this is a coping mechanism or mm -hmm. is it happening in a way that like yeah it's actually happening but the fawn can't be trusted because he doesn't seem like that great a guy um, so I really like that um, the ambiguity of it that, that you could kind of do that with it with whichever way you want. Like, yeah, it could just be a simple fairy tale, or as you say, it could just be like um, this wonderful allegory for rising above trauma and right. oppression and that kind of stuff too. And it and it works every way. Yeah, you know. I found myself getting annoyed with some of the fantasy after a while. I'm like, this isn't real, all right? I know it's not real. And I don't like, it's cool that a girl can have this experience. And I love that the film exists and that it's so fantastically entertaining and it looks gorgeous. But I think it also sends a bad message in a way. And this might be unpopular, but hmm. you have to face what's really going on. Her father died. Obviously, that was devastating for her. And now she's living with this scumbag that she loathes and her mother wants 
her to call him father. Like multiple times she's pushing this father thing and she's not having it. She doesn't want to call him father. She's obviously always going to be disobedient and defiant. That's her thing. She's always going to be this person. That's who Ophelia is. But she, she needs to probably have some real care. She's not given any care whatsoever. Her mother is like a shitty mother. She really <laughs> is. Like for all the strong females in this character, her mother is doing a really horrible job, but she's also put in a really tough situation. And in the film, she also says, you know, you don't know what it's like when you're older, you have to make these decisions and it's really difficult. Mm. You know, it, it, it could be that way, but it doesn't have to be that way. I think she's setting a bad example by, and I know that this is not a time and place where therapy or any type of mental health is really that valid or widespread too. So I don't know. It's, it's a complicated in terms of legacies, I think that's actually a complicated legacy. Well. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so. <laughs> I, I will say, I did, I did want to say one last thing, I guess, because um, it seems like we're suddenly drying up. Um, <laughs> I did find it interesting that the um, Spanish language version of it is called, what is it, uh, El Labertino del Fano? On, yeah. and, right, because Americans, like, we just don't know what fawns are, and, like, we couldn't, we couldn't like, figure that out. So, like, I, I even, even um, Guillermo de Toro has come out and said, like, it's not pan. It's, it's not pan. There's no reason for it to be called pan's labyrinth. We just can't like, fathom a fawn that's not pan, I guess. <laughs> Wow, really? Yeah, I, I wouldn't even know that. I'm, I'm an idiot. You know, he also does all the, um, he doesn't trust the people who do the subtitles. He does it all himself. He does all translations. for Really? Him. Yeah. <laughs> he, super Apparently, cool. some of his previous movies, he was pissed at how it was translated. So he personally does the whole damn thing himself now. That's awesome. Uh, I think like the historical pan, well, not like that he was real, but like there was some like sexual undertones he was worried about people getting confused with or for some reason there and he didn't want you know there to be any type of weird tension between Ophelia and Pan like in terms of like uh what that character was known for um mm. but yeah like, like a, for me. kind of like a uh, like a never mind go ahead no, no that's all right but you know I, I I you're quite you're like your statements kind of just like froze me Mike because like I never really thought that, that someone wouldn't really uh mesh with like the the fantastic elements in here so it kind of took me for like a a turn i like i i love these movies where the kids are saying you know this has happened i just saw this you know why don't you believe me and the parents are always just like in this case she says yeah i used to believe them and then essentially i grew up and that's that's make believe but i always love these stories where the, the kids are seeing these things and they believe it's real uh even even when it might not be but you know, I, I, I love that part of it. I think there should have even maybe been a little bit more of the fantasy stuff, uh, mm. if I would be honest with you, to kind yeah, of really, it a little better. But. Yeah, it really dies out in like the later portion of the film. It's a lot of more reality. Mm -hmm. I actually enjoying this conversation, talking about the movie, more than I actually enjoyed watching the film. I have to be completely <laughs> honest. I, yeah, I thought you were going to trash it the way, the way things kind of started off. I thought you were going to have negative things to say. <laughs> Fucking I really, I really was annoyed by, I was watching it with like, Ugh, and I actually fast forward a few parts because I'm like, okay, I get it, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it yeah, it really did. Well, like when, he's t 
when she every time she's talking to the fawn, I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. This isn't real. Blah blah blah. And maybe that says something about me. That's fine. But I was really really annoyed by her. And I like you ripped on Eddie Furlong. I'm not gonna rip on her because it was a tremendous performance. In fact, yeah, I thought she did good. She was so overwhelming to Guillermo del Toro. That's how she won the job. Uh, Ivana Baquero. Mm-hmm. She did mm-hmm. a great job. And salute to you, Ivana Baquero, who's grown up into a adult human female now. So good for her. She's still acting. Yeah. Um, right. I just was really annoyed watching her in her stupid moves. I'm like, come on. You're just being I, so unhelpful with everything you do. And it's driving me bonkers. I disagree, man. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, I guess, but like, um, I, I didn't, I don't find her annoying. I don't find, I don't think that she's getting, like, I don't think that she, I don't blame her for causing problems because like the, the whole situation sucks and she's like six. So like, it makes sense for her to, I don't know. Like, I mean, like when I watch Spirited Away, what's her name? Chiro, whatever her name is. Like she, as much as I love that movie, like she, sometimes I'm like, what are you doing? You're being irritating. But um, yeah, I don't know. I thought Ophelia, I mostly just felt bad for her. I oh, encourage I you to watch, um, if you feel this way about this uh, harmless, innocent young actress that's doing our best, <laughs> Michael, I encourage you to watch 2005's War of the Worlds. Uh, I've seen pay it. Pay particular uh, attention to Dakota Fanning's intolerable performance. If she's not screaming, she's got a catatonic look on her face, and it's insufferable. Now, that's a poor young female character. This, I, I admire for her strength, her tenacity. Uh, you know, or wisdom and, and everything else. So I don't know, Mike. I loathe Dakota Fanning in that movie too. Uh, Ivana Baccaro was uh, 11 years old when this film was done. And apparently, even though Guillermo del Toro <laughs> wanted the character to be a little younger, like you said, Travis, like six or seven. That's he, what I thought she was. <laughs> he ends up writing. So she is like 10 or 11 in the film, but he was fine doing that because she, he was just so impressed by what he saw from her in the auditions and screen mm. testing. So she does an amazing job. This is a great performance by Ivana Baccaro. And yeah, I want she carries the movie. Yeah, no doubt about it. But I'm just talking about the character. I'm not talking about the performance at all. Wonderful performance. Really mm-hmm. believable. Uh, just annoyed by the character choices. And, uh, you know, she's given this really nice dress and she couldn't care less. I mean, she, I know that's <laughs> not her thing. A really nice dress and shoes. And then she gets the shoes, buddy. And then she ruins the dress. And you know, her mother's in a really difficult position. Her mother's been sick. Have a little compassion for your mom. Come on. She tried taking the dress. She took the dress off. She tried. She took the dress yeah. off. Yeah, she came back and totally blew it. That's the bottom line. I don't care what she did. It's about results. I'm going to make a great parent, by the way. You should probably not do that. <laughs> so as we conclude with this segment, gentlemen, let's come to the moment of truth here. Wonderful film, wildly entertaining, clearly brings up a lot of topics and goes in a lot of different directions. Travis Roy, does Pan's Labyrinth hold up? I mean, if I have to answer yes or no, I'm saying yes, no no question. Um, I think that the movie deals with a lot of important issues, and I think that it utilizes a lot of familiar and traditional tropes and themes and that kind of stuff to, to, to in some ways which is almost like an unfair thing like like with harry potter and like the percy jackson stuff like you're like yeah that's cool but you're taking someone else's stuff and you know whatever um so sometimes i feel like it's almost too well done too formulaic too polished <laughs> there's something there's something about it that's like not too fucking good there's a reason why i don't watch it over and over again there's a reason why it hasn't been so long 
Uh, there's, I'm sorry. There's a reason why it's been so long since I've seen it, but at the same time, like, yeah, I think it holds up. I think that it's a, uh, I think it's a true work of art and um, should be like remembered. And I think it's important. So yes, I don't love it. I won't watch it over and over again, but it's an important movie. Yeah, well said for sure. Eric? Uh, Pan's Labyrinth, you know, it's a beautiful dark fairy tale. It's done a hell of a lot for uh, Latin cinema. Um, it's further the career of a, of a, you know, a macabre giant in, the, in terms of uh, genre filmmakers. Um, it has a lot to say without, you know, dumbing down its audience by any means. It's tidy. Uh, you know, it's very beautifully put together, but it's also, you know, it's very tidy. It doesn't leave you a lot of, of questions or a, a lot of ambiguity that may have serviced it a little bit more, but it's a, it's a, it's a dark storybook. Okay. Um, I love the themes. I love the cinematography by, uh, Guillermo Navarro, who also did Jackie Brown, which is also just a, such a rich, beautifully shot film, uh, but it's, it holds up. It's a gorgeous work of art, just like you said, Travis. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. Subtitles be damned. Don't be afraid if you have to read the screen. I think uh, Bung, Bung Jung-ho said that last year. Don't be afraid if you have to read subtitles because you're going to miss a lot of beautiful pictures if you do. Yeah, that's a good call, Eric. You know, maybe a movie like Paris. This opens doors for movies like Parasite in a way. That might be a little bit of a stretch, but I don't think it's unfair to say that. No, I think, it's, I think that's true. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And in the end, you know, this movie definitely holds up. If we're asking, does it hold up in terms of how it's done and is it entertaining? And in every aspect of the film, you know, art direction, the writing, the direction, the costumes, et cetera, et cetera, mm. every part of it, it all holds up. So I, I certainly cannot mm. say it does not hold up. It certainly <laughs> is a film that stands the test of time. Some of the CGI is a little lame, but that's going to happen regardless because technology always dates itself. It's always going to be that way. And that's not even a big deal. I shouldn't even say that because I don't want that to be a sticking point. This is a film yeah. that I probably will watch again someday. But like you, Travis, it's not something I'm going to pop on you know, every couple of months because it's a commitment. It's also very... Um, Kind of, it's a kind of uncomfortable at times. It really is. It's not like a yeah. a comfy yeah. film like Wonder Boys. Yeah, let's watch Wonder Boys. And just kind of <laughs> hang out with my friends. It's not like that. Right. Yeah, this isn't light. I mean, it's it's a fairy it's a fairy tale, but it's a horror movie. It's a yeah. horror horror movie fairy tale. So that, oh, yeah. that's, it can be really unsettling sometimes. Well, there you have it. We did it. Pons Labyrinth in the books or uh, El uh, Libertino de Fano. Oh, man, I commend us. <laughs> I commend. <laughs> Hey, there's nothing wrong with giving yourself a pat on the back, folks. And if you enjoyed this segment, if you enjoy our show, you know we love to hear from you. We love getting your emails. There's nothing like connecting with other human beings. Please write us. Message e us. Email us. Right. Email us. us. Yeah. Show Tweet up us. at our house. Dress like yes. our parents. For no Wear reason. a mask. Swear <laughs> <laughs> a mask, identity. please. <laughs> have an identity fraud day on us who cares nothing matters at this point anyways right the world is ending and i'm no longer alone please email Yay! us at cinema nine pod at protonmail.com we're on instagram facebook twitter all your favorite social media formats that's where the fun begins we've had a lot of connection on instagram we would like to thank everybody who's engaged and also opened our eyes to other film critiques and 
reviews. There's a lot of people who love film and are looking at other films in cinema. So there's a whole community on Instagram that has just inundated my phone with notifications over the last week. So I'm really <laughs> grateful for that. And thank you to everyone for being a part of that. Eric, we got an email this week, don't we? We got an email from uh, Angela, who's a faithful listener and friend of the show. Ooh. In many ways. Just, just friends? Uh, <laughs> what? Just friends? <laughs> Maybe more. Uh, no, Angela's my wife. So she, she, emailed the show. <laughs> she emailed the show saying, question for the pod. What is your favorite Tom Cruise era and why? She breaks it down. We got 80s, what she calls 80s rat face Cruise. Okay, remember Tom Cruise <laughs> the 80s? Like rat yeah. face? We got oh, yeah. 90s Jerry Maguire Cruise, right? And then we got 2000 Action Cruise. Also, what is your favorite Tom Cruise role? So there you go. Thank you, Andrew. Oh, boy. Rat face Cruise in the 80s. That's something I definitely, that's There's my spot. That's my go to. Yeah, that's like in all, all the right moves and uh, taps. Like going way back, he's really rat face and taps, and uh, he definitely tried to de rat himself over the last thirty years. There's no doubt about it. Wow, I'd say, I'd say for me, I'm I'm definitely going uh, the middle option. The uh, I mean, I watched I rewatched Jerry Maguire recently, and that movie just does not hold up that great. Oh, really it's, wow. it's not it's not bad, but it's it's not it's not great. Um, but wow. what what is what is great out of that era is uh, his his performance as Lestat in the Interview yes. with the Vampire which might yes. be my favorite Tom Cruise role. Um, and then, you know, it, it opened up a whole door of, uh, of a lot of really strong work from him, you know, a lot of really good uh, dramatic work. And I, I'm, I'm kind of hard pressed to pick a favorite. I mean, I'd say either, I'd say either interview with the vampire, maybe Magnolia. Um, God which damn, is, I, uh, really, I like Jack Reacher. I don't care what anybody says, but anyway. Oh, yeah, Jesus, <laughs> Pete. Get out of here. Oh, hey, we, by the way, we did Magnolia several episodes ago. If you want to go back and listen to it, please do. I think that was episode number two, Magnolia. Post Rat Face Cruise, bringing it. I, the 90s are kind of cool. I'm totally out. Anything since Magnolia, it's like it is all over for me. And that's fine because I don't need yeah. to. I, I also loathe Tom Cruise as a human being, so it's difficult for me to to really buy into the current man that he is and the work that he does. So I'm happy to go back to maybe a different time before maybe he got into the Scientology when he was rat face cruise. And he no, he was into it then too. Ah, oh, shit. Well, damn it. Well, let me just have my fantasy, okay? This is Pan's Labyrinth. I'm creating my own world. I'm, I'm, I'm going in a different direction here. And in the 80s, uh, I mean, uh, The Color of Money, that's a great film. I love him in that movie. Uh, underrated, undervalued. In the 80s, movies were like... He would do anything. You see, I love cocktail. I am a huge fan of cocktail. I'm an wow. unabashed supporter of cocktail. I've watched it a hundred times, maybe more. I will put it on because Real. Brian Man. Brown is Brian Brown Brian. is hilarious in that film. <laughs> he's such Brown. a he's such a character of himself that you know Coglin's Law. So stupid. <laughs> I love it. I just can't get enough. If Brian Brown was not in the movie, I probably wouldn't like cocktail as much as I do. So really, it's not about Tom Cruise. Everyone knows that The Color of Money is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's my favorite Tom Cruise movie. But, you know, I, I'd have to sway a little bit towards 90s Cruise. We're post-Ratface, but we're not into his, his action Cruise yet. We've got Interview with the Vampire, which I think is probably his best performance. And we've got Eyes Wide Shut. Now, I love Eyes Wide Shut. It gets better every single time I see it. And Tom yeah. Cruise is so... Yeah so uh under the radar and intense and 
his inner turmoil in that is so good. It's such a fucking weird, engrossing movie. Yeah. Uh, such an underrated role for him. Um, but yeah, I'd say performance would be Lestat, but era would have to be kind of late 80s for me because I also think he's fucking so good in Rain Man. In fact, the last time I watched oh, Rain Man, shit, yeah, I, didn't Rain really, Man. I didn't really fucking give that much of a shit about Dustin Hoffman doing like doing what he was doing. Tom Cruise is is so good. Uh, he really is. Great. He's outshined yeah. by that kind of simple performance. No pun intended. No, I think you're right. I, I rewatched that recently too, and I was like, and I thought the exact same thing. Like we were so all so wowed by 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 Hoffman, which he was good, but man, like man, it's talk about a redemption arc. Like he really. Good movie. Yeah. And you just watched Born on the Fourth of July recently, and that was another one late eighties. And Jaws still on the floor. I don't care what anyone says. I my mind is blown. And, you know, apparently I don't know why this is controversial, but one of my I love a few good men. I've always loved a few good men. It's an Aaron Sorkin mm. script. And of course it's known for the famous, you know, I want the truth, you can't handle the truth. But you got Cruz and Nicholson arguably in their prime, you know, tail end prime and I, you know, Kevin Bacon, Kiefer Sutherland, there's all kinds of, Demi Moore and Kevin Pollack. Kevin Pollack. That's really, yeah, it's really well cast. And Tom Cruise is really funny in that movie. <clears throat> he's hilarious. He makes, he's got great dialogue to work with because Sorgan gives him a lot of fun lines. But I don't know. Do you guys like A Few Good Men or is this a film that is overrated? I do not like it. I think it's really cheesy. <laughs> oh, see, I knew it. I knew somebody in here was like, this it's movie's fun. Strange. It's fun and I enjoy it, but even though I've seen it like a hundred times, I only really remember the courtroom scene. And then like for the rest of the movie, I remember him like holding a bat, like trying to like think about what to do next. I don't really remember that much about his performance. It's a good scene, but I don't know if it's a good movie. Oh man. And the firm, the firm is really underrated. The firm is one of the best firm. Grisham adaptations. I, really, I love the firm. You got old man uh, Hal Hellbrook being a douchebag, Gene Hackman being a douchebag, there's the, uh, so many du- Wilford Brimley being a douchebag. There's so many old white douchebags in this film. Yeah. Don't, forget, don't forget Collateral too. Also, really oh, good movie. Damn it! Yes. Now Eric's always talking about Collateral. I feel like we yeah. never talk about the firm, and it it deserves credit. Even David Strathairn's in that. It's a really good cast. How Hunters. Yeah, I I could watch that film. I, in fact, I want to revisit now. I'm actually excited. And now I think I'm actually joining Travis and you. I think I might go 90s cruise now. Shit. Tobin right. Bell. Remember the weird fucking guy? Chase him around? <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Yep. So, yeah, I guess that's uh, some of our favorite roles. Uh, Angel, that was a really good question. We appreciate yeah. your emails and you inspired a lot of commentary. So, well done. Kudos to you. As always, it's time to close. With our, maybe it's our favorite segment. I don't know. We never did a straw poll. <laughs> it's quarantine picks time. We're here to give you viewing picks. The quarantine carries on. It's uh, almost June. It's Memorial Day weekend coming up, so there won't be a lot of barbecues. I mean, you could barbecue in your own backyard if you want to, but you're not going to be uh, having a bunch of people over or going to the park and using a public barbecue. You know those, like, public barbecues? Those, like, really lame, like... Oh, yeah, they're so gross. <laughs> I can't believe people just throw any of their meat on. I mean, I guess you got to cook it so it kills a lot of stuff. But I mean, uh. Put some tinfoil down and you're in business. But, like, yeah, those things are gross. Yeah, definitely put some aluminum oh, foil down. That's funny. a good call. Uh, but, hey, Travis, uh, you always bring it. You got, you got great taste. You've seen a lot of films in your life. What do you got for us this week? Well, I've watched a lot of good movies this week. Um, 
but I, I can't, don't have time to tell you about all of them, so I'll just touch on a few. Um, the first movie I watched that really blew me away, again, like I think I told you, mostly I've been watching either movies I've never seen before or stuff that I've seen a bunch but hadn't seen in a long time. And I uh, recently rewatched Green, uh, Green Card from 1990. And oh. uh, man, speaking of Peter Weir, Peter Weir, we were talking about Peter Weir not that long ago. This is the way he did before Fearless. And uh, man, this movie is just so, like when it ended, I was just like, I was crying. I was like a weeping mess. I was like, holy shit, this is one of the greatest, uh, like one of the greatest uh, love stories I think I've ever seen. What, for Green Card? This and Choke. Yeah, I'm putting, I'm putting a Green Card and Choke, the best love, love movies ever. What? Um, wow. I'm, My dude, mind I'm is blown you, right now. It's a really good movie. But you know what? You know, well, let me, def- let me describe why I liked it so much, I guess, because what I really loved about it is that it just exemplifies how fucking crazy and risky love is and how um, just, you know, like it, it's, it's not a reasonable thing. It's just like, it's just like these two people that, um, I don't know. It's just, I thought it really captured just the, uh, the riskiness of it. So I thought that was, I just thought it was a really good movie. And I'd seen it a bunch, and, and it really holds up well. And the music is a big part of why it holds up so well. Oh, um, my gosh. I am blown away right now because I thought Green Card was just a big Gerard Depardieu joke, who I also thought was just a huge joke. <laughs> I'm living my whole life under this assumption. You know, I'm telling you, it's, it's a real – I mean, like, you, you, I know you like Peter Weir movies. We talked about it. Just check oh, out God. Green Card. Yeah. Man. Green Card's okay. really good. All right. Um, okay. Wow. Uh, another good movie I watched was uh, Dean because I've been on a big uh, Kevin Klein kick and Kevin Klein co-starred in this written, directed, and starring um, Dimitri Martin movie called Dean, which is on Netflix right now, I think, which was, uh, it was okay, worth, worth, worth seeing, um, worth seeing, just kind of like being a, like a different kind of like grief comedy, which there's not a lot of those. Um, I revisited Crazy Stupid Love, which I really did not oh. think very much of when it came out, even though oh, I yeah, really liked it. Yeah, I really liked the cast, but I didn't think much of it when it came out. But I really, really loved it. This viewing, it's still, yeah, it's still, it's still one of those movies that ends with like a really unnecessary, like, okay, this happens to be a stage and a microphone, and our protagonists get to stand up <laughs> in front of the town and tell everybody about their mistakes. So, like, that's one of those movies. But, um, but yeah, it, it's a, it's a, it was a much better movie than I remembered it being. Uh, and the last movie I wanted to touch on was, um, was 2019's In the Shadow of the Moon. I had not oh. heard of this movie, uh, but I'm a really big Jim Nickel fan. I love, I cannot, I cannot sing the praises highly enough of uh, Cold in July. And um, wow. this, is the first, this is the first thing he did since Cold in July. And, you know, these Netflix movies, sometimes I think they do a terrible job of marketing on them because I didn't know that that Duncan Jones mute existed. I didn't know that this movie existed and it came out a year ago. Uh, and it is a really, really smart science fiction movie. Um, now, like, I've, I've read some people kind of complaining about it being too woke because, like, remember there was a time when, like, a, a movie could have, like, a subplot that dealt with white supremacist bad guys and that wasn't considered too woke? That wasn't considered controversial? Cause, <laughs> yeah. Because they're just bad guys? Um, so there's yeah. Some, yeah, but, but so there, that's some of the, I think that's some of the complaints that people had about this movie is that, like, because, like, that, those are the bad guys. Um, but uh, other than that, man, it's really, really great time travel movie, really clever and um, really well acted, you know. Um, this, this guy who I boyed something, I'm, I'm kind of blanking on his name. Uh, but, but In the Shadow of the Moon, that's, that's my main recommendation for this week. Wow. Okay, I'm, good I'm, stuff. I'm so excited. I love Cold in July. I, I was wondering where this filmmaker was, so I'm there. 
Yeah, he's 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 also working on the upcoming uh, Sweet Tooth adaptation of the graphic novel into a TV series. Is that he's, that he's, ice cream truck from Twisted Metal on PlayStation One? That, that, that is the misconception. No, it's a guy with it's a guy with deer antlers. That's, it's, a, it's a guy with antlers. Oh, I love Twisted Metal, man! I miss Twisted Metal. Twisted Metal. Yeah, yeah hell make, yeah! I played that forever. Make that movie. Where's that movie? <laughs> Twisted Metal the movie. I'm sure they did it. It came and went. <laughs> Eric, sure what are you, man? What are I, what's on Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel. Love Sidney Lumet. Vin Diesel. Yeah, anyways, go ahead. Do you know Vin Diesel re uh, read Sidney Lumet's book about how to make a movie? Oh, well, he's in um, Find Me Guilty, right? Yeah, go on. <laughs> Never mind. That was a pointless reference. Move on. Uh -oh. What do we got, Eric? Here's that one. Anyway, Vin Diesel is sweet, too. Remember uh, last week I was talking about that fucking guy that looks like a dog? Uh, Re 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 I, I still don't know his name. Reese Ifans. Rice Ifans. Yeah. Reese. Yeah, yeah. Um, Rice Ifans. <laughs> Maybe Rice. I watched him last night in uh, Nanny McPhee Returns. Oh, my God. Is that with Emma Thompson and that doofus look? Yikes. <laughs> you watched it by choice? Was it good? <laughs> You'd be surprised what you have to watch when you're in a, a no, yeah, yeah. marriage. But I uh, had fun. I had fun. And uh, he's a really versatile actor. I've always just seen him as like, dog looking dude or like is very odd but he's he's funny in that uh he's a he's a good personal actor um i <laughs> i also revisited bringing out the dead from 1999 oh. marty scorsese yeah. it's it it wasn't good then it's not good now it yeah. wasn't a, you know it scorsese has absolutely nothing to say like in this entire movie and nor does paul schrader the screenwriter and I remember everyone was so pumped when they were reteaming after, you know, their major successes back in the day. But it's a lifeless, showy, gross, pointless exercise that, uh, yeah, I, I don't recommend. Um, I watched The Call starring Halle Berry. It's a thriller about, like, uh, Abigail Breslin gets kidnapped and Halle Berry is, like, the 911 operator. She's got to deal with the situation. Um, it's really bad. Uh, so I can't recommend it. You know, a movie is going to be trouble when the first credit on the screen is <clears throat> a WWE production. Uh -oh. So I probably should have turned it off. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, you really should have. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. But, you know, on the positive side, my, my highest recommendation of the week is maybe even for the, for the podcast so far in general was Don Verdeen. Did you guys okay. check it out? No, not yet. Yeah, did you get to see it? No. So it's laugh out loud funny. And I've always been a little bit weird about like, for some reason, like no comedy has been able to make me laugh out loud in, in like years. And I don't know if they're like increasingly like just becoming like obnoxious or it's just bickering or like the actors, you know, how they're, they're taken to just like, hey, let's just improv and then like we'll keep whatever's funny. They've been doing so much of that recently. This is so cleverly written and interesting sam Reckle plays like this charlatan archaeologist who's just like making up these like holy relics and to, to make money he's this total scumbag it's funny it's from jared hess who did napoleon dynamite and nacho libre i thought he like fell off the face of the earth oh wow anything still alive. It, but yeah he's still around and and this is really funny jermaine clement from uh play the concord danny mcbride um Will Forte, highest strong recommendation. Cast. I thought it was hilarious. That's a strong cast. Yeah, that's yeah. it's really funny. Hmm. 
Oh, I never heard of it. I'll have to check that out. Is that on uh, streaming service or? It's on Netflix. It's on right? Netflix. Yeah, Netflix. Oh. 2015, it just flew in under the radar. I remember like Don John and Dom Hemingway came out like right around the same time. And I think people were just like donned out. They're like, who gives a fuck? What is this? But <laughs> it's, it's laugh out loud funny. Donned out. Wow. Uh, you know, it's funny, by the way, speaking of similar movie titles, Travis mentioned Green Card and I was looking at the list of movies we have. There's Green Card, Green Room, Green Book. There's a lot of green titles. I just want to throw that up there. Yeah, a lot of green. But they're uh, much more farther apart in the timeline. And only one with uh, celebrated French actor Gerard Depardieu. <laughs> Remember My Father the Hero? Yes, that's exactly the kind of <laughs> shit I think of when I think of Green Card. <laughs> well, I'm going to watch Green Card. I, Travis sold me. I, I mean, that's... It's a, slow, it's, a bit, it's a bit of a slow burn, but by, by the time you get to the climax, it's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty, pretty I, good. I could do a slow burn. I, I have the willpower to hang tough. So. I used to really like that Andy McDowell. Whatever happened to her? She's sweet. <laughs> Once I, you know, I, I will say that um, it, the movie does have my least favorite delivery of any line in any movie ever. Like I felt this way when I was a kid. She has this line in this movie. This is exactly how she delivers it. She goes, do you have any idea of the situation you put me in? Do you? <laughs> like people don't talk like that yeah there's a kevin smith movie it's one of kevin smith movies where someone delivers a, i think it's jeff anderson i think it's one of the clerks or clerks too the way he delivers a line i'm like dude you you need another take on this this is trash <laughs> yeah. uh, we should, that's actually a fun segment maybe we should write that down oh, I just blew my, line. yeah that's a, that's my number one but it's still great a great call. <laughs> well thanks eric those are that's a lot of great choices boy we got some uh, viewing to do over the next seven days as far as me, I, uh, I was watching a lot of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And Before the, yeah, sorry, but I've been doing that too. Continue. So funny. I mean, it's one of my favorite shows ever. And I actually, I was only up to like season 10 or 11. So I, got, I had some new seasons to watch to catch up on. And I got the whole collection now. So I'm excited to keep going forward. But I started from the beginning and I've gone all the way up to like season... Uh, 11 or 12 i think i'm at now and it's so funny but one of the things that i i found myself thinking about a lot is the lethal weapon remakes and you know they they remake they, they continue the series with their own version of lethal weapons they did lethal weapon 5 in one of the earlier seasons and then they do lethal weapon 6 so they dress up though they use blackface because they want to yeah. be authentic to the character and i i started researching like Wait, were people pissed about this at the time? Because I, I just don't remember it. Because things have changed a lot even in 10 years. You know, the first Lethal oh, Weapon yeah. came out in like 2009 or 10-ish, okay? And then the follow-up was in 11 or 12. So they're supposed to be, it's a satire, right? They're supposed to be scumbags. And they're also trying to like be authentic to the role in their world. But they're also doing it in real life and putting a show out where they're wearing blackface. And I don't know. It's a really like fascinating philosophical debate I found myself having with myself. Oddly <laughs> enough. <laughs> and I'm not saying I condone it at all. I'm just, I just think it's interesting when you're trying to do a satire and then you're doing things that are like reprehensible. And there's no, this show has no line because they've done a lot you know, some people say Dennis is a serial killer. We don't know that for sure. It, it's a really kind of dark show when you start breaking it down. And I just think it's interesting to see the line of comedy and what's funny and what's not funny, where the satire ends. Because satire needs to exist. I think satire is very important. I think it should always have a place in society. Um, I don't know. It's just kind of a quick thought I had. I don't know if you guys want to chime in on that. 
Well, I, I agree very much about uh, the power of satire. I think it's one of the most uh, um, important ways that, that power can be critiqued, uh, one of the most effective ways, but it's also one of those things that can just go over people's heads. You're always going to have some asshole who thinks, yeah, Archie Bunker knows what he's talking about. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Bullworth. <laughs> Bullworth. Bullworth. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that was one of the poorer efforts of satire. But yeah, you're right. That's true. It, it's, if, if we watch Bullworth now, we'd probably look back and be like, oh my, it's so cringeworthy. It's, yeah. <laughs> if if not, we watched not, Bullworth now, we simply would not. We would turn it off and carry <laughs> on with our life. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Not for being unfunny, just it's also wildly offensive. And it is, it's pretty much straight up racist if you. If you really watch the show, and I wouldn't want to watch that show. So, anyways, I, I don't. Oh, you know, go ahead, Eric. Yeah, sorry. I gotta admit, I, I've never seen this show, and everyone keeps talking to me about it. Uh, this yeah. always sunny Philadelphia. I've never seen it, so uh, I guess it could be time to jump in. But I warn you, if it's if it's smarmy and everyone's just like bickering, oh, all the time, it's I don't know if it's I can smarmy it. as fuck. You're not gonna like it. Really? There's tons of bickering. There's tons of bickering. It's all bickering. Don't watch it. Yeah, I mean, right, I yeah. think it's funny, but if, that, if you're against that, then don't watch it. Um, I'm Mike, more? over it. Yeah, and then uh, I also wanted to recommend a movie I hadn't watched in a long time, but it was one of my personal favorites going back to 2006, same year as uh, Con oh. Labyrinth. Yeah, <laughs> it was the Emilio Estevez film Bobby about RFK and the day he's assassinated. Oh, yeah. Massive really ensemble good. piece. It really is. So really I, I still still think it's great. It's a massive ensemble piece. It's probably it could arguably be one of the most uh, impressive cast you'll ever see i mean oh yeah <laughs> anthony it's hopkins huge. and martin sheen harry belafonte christian slater bill macy helen hunt sharon stone demi moore emilio estevez ashton kutcher shay labeouf it just goes on and on and on it's a huge cast and i really still enjoyed it i hadn't watched it in many years it was a movie i watched a lot i burnt out on but i thought maybe it would be less enjoyable now like oh you know maybe it's not as great as it was and you know there's some there's some cheesiness to it, but I love the movie because it has like these, all these themes in one day while there's this huge thing that's going to happen. And people's, it's one of those films where like everyone's not paying attention to what's going on in the world while they're obsessed mm-hmm. with their own reality and mm-hmm. looking inward. And then they get shocked into reality by the outside world. And but I like it. did happen. Like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> exactly. I was waiting exactly. for it. Very good. Just like, Frog, but good. Yeah. good call. <laughs> I, I, I'm always down for those types of movies. And also it's, you know, it's it's blatantly like pro Bobby, like Emilio Estevez is oh, not yeah. pulling any punches, yeah. and that's fine with me because, you know, I I know the truth. I know who he is. You know, he's not a perfect man, and there's no such thing as a perfect man. But he's a good dude, and it's sad how it all ended. And also, did you? I loved I loved Emilio Estevez's direction in that. Did you see his? I think his. I don't know if it was direct follow up, but another one of his directorial efforts, the the public. It's called. I really wanted to see it. I really Oh, fuck, I forgot about that movie. I'm yeah. going to watch that really soon. Because I remember being excited about it. So I'm like, he's a really good director, I thought, after Bobby. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, The Public, that looks great. And it's got uh, Michael Kenneth Williams in it, who's a fucking That's right. just one, one of the best actors out there. Um, yeah. yeah, man, I need to see, I'm going to put that on my list. I'm going to watch that movie. Yeah. Jeffrey Wright, Alex Baldwin, Christian Slater, Jenna Malone. You saw it? You saw it? No, no, I didn't see it either. But it just snapped into my head. I'm like, fuck, I didn't see The Public yet. I'll watch it. I'll watch it. <laughs> yeah, I definitely... That. It came out in 2018, and I didn't get a chance to see it. I definitely agree with you. I want to see that film. Uh, by the way, he, uh, Emilio Estevez is currently filming his return as Gordon Bombay in the Mighty Ducks television series. Oh, Just one. shit. That's a real thing. And he seems <laughs> oh, to be in every episode. So. <laughs> oh, um, I, 
I was going to uh, tell you one more thing since I've talked to you guys about this uh, separately, but I thought I was saving it for the cast. Um, I watched Mother, um, oh, lower, yeah. lowercase m, exclamation Mother. point at the, at the end, which makes sense <laughs> if you're a 2003 emo band, if you want to do that with your title. Um, but he, he did it with that, I guess you could call it a movie. It's a movie, right? It's um, sort of, it's something. It's a it's a visual assault that's almost like uh, it's in sport with itself. Like it's it's as if each scene was in competition to see if it could be more unsettling and worse and off putting than the one before it. Um, I fucking <laughs> hated it so much, and not just for making me feel like ill at ease because I don't want I mean, it's a horror movie. I expect to feel ill at ease. It was just it just felt like an art film that like some dude made like that. This had like way too much money, and I'm just like this is just so like oh it's just tried too hard like ooh, shocking um like what do you what is, uh, i just fuck it. I, could, I couldn't have hated this movie more um but so since i told you that i was that i was watching i just wanted to report back to you and say to mother when i first saw it i hated it too travis i remember watching it at aaron's house a friend of ours and i was like this movie's awful this is so bad and he really liked it but a couple years ago i'm buying i've kind of warmed up to it a bit i don't know i'd like to see We'll see. I want to get back to you in a couple of years and see if things change at all. I'm not saying they will, but I just want to find out. I, uh, yeah, I, I'm not going to watch it again, but uh, I, I will say that, like, you know, I was really, you know, I was waiting for that big ending. Then the big ending came and I was like, you know, <laughs> there was, there was a way to do what they did. Like Bong Joon, what's his name? I can't say his name. You know what I'm talking about. Snowpiercer. Yeah, yeah. And Snowpiercer, Captain America ate a baby. He did a really good job with it because he did it off screen. And um, if you you can make that point without necessarily just like we don't need to see that. There's a lot of things that happen in the movie. I'm just like why the fuck? Like no one needs this. Why is this happening right now? Why are you making this? Why you why you? This is not like I don't know. I, I could just keep I could just keep going. Like I guess he just wanted to piss people off. I, I guess it worked. Um, for, you know, I got people talking. But man, like I really just wanted to punch Javier Bardem in the face, which is like I guess okay. So you want to punch God in the face? Great. Okay. I kind of um, wanted to punch. I love Darren Aronofsky, but I I kind of wanted to punch Darren Aronofsky in the face. I found yeah. it. I thought it, and this is a strong word, but I'm going to use it. I thought it was kind of obscene, like not necessarily for when they they eat the baby, but just when the baby was getting carried around and pissing on itself. I was yeah. just like, this is ugly, grotesque, and I just paid twelve fifty to watch this. Fuck this guy. If I'd okay. seen it in theaters, I would have been furious. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Mother obviously is a strong, strong opinions on mother. But hey, if you want to watch it for yourself, that's up to each individual. Get off the sink. Yeah, get off the sink. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't been braised yet. All right. Um, this, I think that does it. This has been another wonderful episode of the Cinema Nine podcast. As we come to a close and we wrap up the Pan's Labyrinth episode, we've got viewing picks. We've got all kinds of stuff for you to check out this week. Next week, we're going to talk about. 2003's old school Will Ferrell, Luke Wilson. <laughs> yeah, this is um, we're not sure how this is gonna go. This is kind of a this is not like a universally agreed upon choice, which is good. We want to have a little, you know, division maybe some uh, some fresh takes and some disagreements, and that's what it's all about. M- movies have different, I don't know, viewpoints. You know, people see movies in all kinds of different ways, and old schools, you know, it's a classic comedy, but does it hold up? That's what we'll find out next week on the Cinema 9 podcast. So please, join us again. Check out all of our social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Email us, cinema9pod at protonmail.com. Sound good, guys? 
Sounds great. Yeah, and I might as well go ahead and apologize to Dakota Fanning now because I'll probably end up doing it next week. <laughs> weren't that bad in The Runaways, which is a pretty good movie, but Jesus Christ, War of the Worlds. I mean, maybe like leaning into heavy critique of child actors is kind of like a fruitless endeavor. Yeah, that is. <laughs> hey, if you put it out there, you got to expect to uh, get some type of response. That's just how life is in America. They can't all be, what's it? They can't all be Millie Mae Brown or whatever her name is. Oh, yeah, 11. <laughs> yeah. There well, we are. Find out next week to see which child actor we make fun of. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for joining the show, and we'll see you next week. Take care now. Bye-bye.